Jim, thank you for that prayer this morning. I don't know about you, but I could have just sat and listened to those scriptures. Um, You know, sometimes I think when we come to church, it's so easy, it's so easy for all of us to just become a kind of routine that we go through each week. It's the thing that we do. But there are two things I like to remind myself of each week when we come together as the blood-bought church of Christ. Number one, we are gathered before the gaze of God. God is here, and we sit before him. And secondly, this is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. Sometimes I think we lose how awe-inspiring that ought to be, that God the living, transcendent, majestic, holy God of heaven and earth has revealed himself to us. And when he speaks, we should listen. And when he speaks, we should obey. Yes, this is a time of joy. This is a time of celebration. But it is also a time of great reverence, a time to stand in awe, of who God is. Well, this morning, we come to the end of our study of the New Testament book of Titus. And I want to do two things. I want to look at the last four verses of Titus, and then I want to take a look back. I want to take a look back at this New Testament book and what we've spent these last few months working through together. But before we do that, I want to share just briefly about the upcoming schedule. The next two Sundays, the 16th and the 23rd of July, I will be on vacation, and Pastor Dan and Pastor Chad will be preaching these next two Sundays. And then three weeks from today, on Sunday, July 30th, I will begin a new sermon series on the attributes of God. So that will begin on the last Sunday of July. So that's where we are headed as a church. But this morning, the end of the book of Titus. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to Titus chapter 3 and verses 12 through 15. Titus chapter 3 and verses 12 through 15. Again, we have the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, who is overseeing the churches on the Greek island of Crete. And this is what he says. When I I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Well, our first point this morning is final instructions. The Apostle Paul wants Titus to come to him at Nicopolis And make sure the churches in Crete continue functioning biblically while he's gone. 
Verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. You know, when we come to the end of a New Testament letter, one of the epistles, it usually has this kind of instruction. And I've even seen pastors just ignore it and not preach on that part. Well, and then there's the closing comments. But these are important for us. Not only is there important instruction here, but it reminds us of something. These are real people just like us. Real people with emotions, with relationships. I mean, we can't just see the Bible as some thing that's off somewhere. Um, some, it is a holy book, but not like it's holy above us and we can't relate to it. No, the Holy Spirit inspired real men with real families to write real words for our eternal instruction. And so Paul says to Titus, I want you to do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. I want you to do me a big favor, Titus. I want you to come to me. Nicopolis was a very well-known ancient city. He said, for I have decided to spend the winter there. You see, we are reminded that, like with Timothy, Paul with Titus had this kind of master-apprentice, teacher-disciple relationship. And he really wanted Titus to come to him so they could talk, catch up on how everything was going, share together how they were doing in Christ and give instructions to Titus for the future. But if you're going to come to me, Titus, I'm going to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. You see, the churches in Crete were still pretty young. Notice he doesn't just say here, they can take care of themselves while you're gone. They can run themselves while you're, while you're gone. They weren't at that point yet. They were still immature. They were vulnerable, even as we looked at last week, to false teaching. And so he was going to send one of his good men to them. It would be either Artemis or Tychicus. Now, Artemis, we don't know anything about him. But we can assume that he was a biblically qualified elder and that he was a good and godly man who could take Titus's place for a season and oversee the churches on the island of Crete. Tychicus is, some, is a, someone we do know a little about. He's mentioned at least three times in the New Testament. And I want to read for you, just as an example this morning, I want to read you For you, and they'll be on the screen, two verses in the New Testament about Tychicus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. And so even though we don't know a lot about this man, he was a good man. He was a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. A beloved brother, 
faithful minister, someone who could share with you all that we are going through. And it's just a good reminder. Obviously, we know a lot about the ministry of Jesus. We know a lot about the ministry of the apostles, especially some of them. And there are others like Philip the Evangelist or Luke that we know quite a bit about. But beyond those people, there were all kinds of ordinary, faithful men and women who were being used of God, who loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and were being used in mighty ways by God to help the church, to help that early church to flourish and to grow. And the same thing is true right now. There are all kinds of people, those who may sometimes be anonymous or serve behind the scenes, they are so important to the church, so important to the advancement of the kingdom, not only here but around the world, to the ends of the earth. And Tychicus and Artemis Artemis were those kinds of men, representing, I think, here both men and women. And then in verse 13, Paul says, do your best. Notice verse 12, do your best. Verse 13, do your best. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Zenos and Apollos represent something that was very common in the first century. There were some very gifted, Holy Spirit-filled Men who were teachers, who were evangelists, who would in that age travel from area to area because that's the only way they could communicate, carrying letters, ministering personally. And they would travel through these towns and it was the responsibility of the churches to feed them, to house them, to make sure if they had any needs, they would take care of them. Now, Zenos is like Artemis in that we know almost nothing about him except what it says here and that he is a lawyer. And when it says he's a lawyer, he could have been one of two kinds of lawyers, two kinds of attorneys. He could have been a law attorney like we would think of an attorney today in the Roman court system. He would litigate cases That is a possibility. could be he was an attorney who had given himself to Christ who was being used mightily by the Lord. Or it could be that he was an expert in the law of Moses. They were also called lawyers. So it's possible that he was an expert in the law of Moses or a law attorney in the Roman legal system. We're not sure. Some say he probably was a Roman lawyer because he has a Roman name, but many Jews at this time were given Roman names. In fact, Paul was given a Roman name. So we really don't know. But again, we can safely assume that he was a man of God, a man that Paul really trusted. Now, Apollos is different. We know quite a bit about Apollos. We know that Apollos was a powerful speaker. The Bible says, and I've always admired this about Apollos, he was mighty in the scriptures. 
And he spent a great deal of his time refuting the Jews, refuting the arguments of the Jews. We also know that he was taught more accurately about the faith by Aquila and Priscilla. So he is somewhat well-known and was a very gifted teacher of the scriptures. So when Zenos and Apollos come through, Titus, make sure. Make sure you honor them. Make sure you take good care of them. And again, I want you to notice the very personal, relational aspect of this closing part of the letter. And then verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So Titus also, in addition to these things, continue to disciple the church. Continue to disciple the church. Teach them. Teach them to devote themselves to good works. We're going to see in a little bit, this is one of the major topics of the book of Titus. Teach them to be devoted to doing good so that they can help with cases of urgent need. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul means here. It could be like the traveling teachers, Zenos and Apollos, be ready ready and willing to help them. It could be that he is referring to any urgent need. When someone is sick, when someone is in great need, physically, spiritually, it could be any kind of good work that would be urgent, that there would be an urgent need, or it may be all of the above. But Titus, teach them over and over again to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Well, Paul ends his letter to Titus with a greeting common to all his letters. And if you are familiar with the epistles of Paul, you will recognize this greeting or greeting similar to it in his letters. Verse 15 All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. All who are with me, Paul says. My companions who are working alongside of me, those who are ministering to me, those who are with me, they send greetings to you, Titus. We're in this together. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So, we not only greet you, But greet those who love us in the faith. Greet all the brothers and sisters in all the churches on the island of Crete. Greet them for us. Tell them how much we love them. Tell them how we're praying for them. Tell them how much we care about them. And then he says, grace be with you all. We don't use this much today, but we could. It'd be very relevant to use this little phrase, this little sentence, even today, to say grace be with you. And grace be with you all is actually a very powerful, important greeting. It means don't ever forget that everything you do, you do by the grace of God. Never forget that you're saved by grace. Never forget that you're kept by grace. Never forget that every good thing you own, everything you possess is by the grace of God, the unmerited and undeserved kindness and favor of God. Everything, your wife, your husband, your children, your church, your home, 
your food, everything you do, it's all because of the grace of God. So always praise him. Always worship him for his grace. Well, that brings us to the end of the letter. And our second point this morning is a look back. I want to take a look back at this New Testament epistle. And as we look back at the book of Titus, there are four major topics that Paul addresses in the three, to- in the three chapters. So I just want to go over those four major topics with you as we close out this study. Number one, first major topic. Right near the beginning of chapter one, Paul lists the qualifications for biblical church leadership. So in chapter one, verses five through nine, we have the qualifications for biblical church elders. And Paul tells Titus that he is to appoint elders in all of the cities, in all of the churches. Titus is to appoint elders, but not just anyone. They must be biblically qualified men who meet these qualifications. And I would like all of you to remember, and I've shared this with you before, that there are just two places in the New Testament where we have the qualifications for an elder. Excuse me. One is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and the other is here in Titus chapter 1. So, if you are looking for what qualifies a man to be a church elder, what are the biblical qualifications? 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. I also want you to remember this as you study through the New Testament on your own. The words pastor, elder, overseer, and bishop are all interchangeable. They're interchangeable interchangeable titles referring to the very same office. So we don't have pastors over here, elders over here, overseers over here, and bishops over here. No, they're all the same office. And it's another sermon in and of itself, but it's just important. It's important. I know there have been denominations historically that have tried to separate these, but it doesn't work biblically. They're all referring to the same men, to the same office, so they're just different descriptors of the very same office. Second major topic, second major topic in the little book of Titus. Twice in three chapters, Paul warns the churches about false teaching and false teachers. Chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, which we just looked at last Sunday. And I mentioned this last Sunday. Why? Why twice in three short chapters does Paul mention false teaching and false teachers? And the reason is, is because we, as sinful men and women, are easily distracted from what is most important. But not only that, we, as sinful men and women, even as redeemed men and women, 
are easily deceived. And we are vulnerable. Every single one of us, I'll put myself at the top of the list, every single one of us is vulnerable to false teaching. So you need to look yourself in the mirror and you need to say, I, I am easily deceived. I am easily distracted. I am vulnerable to false teaching. I am. So I always need to be alert and I always need to be on guard. But here's the good news. In this little book, three chapters of Titus, in one single verse, he gives the church the primary way to protect all of us. And it is found in Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And if you remember, there are a number of different working definitions you could find on sound doctrine, but I gave you the very simple definition that sound doctrine is teaching the essential truths of all Scripture, especially as they relate to the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as it is prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. So churches, whether it's from the pulpit or in your small group Bible studies or in Sunday schools down to the smallest of our children, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Parents, place your families under the teaching of sound doctrine. All of us, make sure you are constantly under the teaching and instruction of sound doctrine. Third major topic. Multiple times the Christians are exhorted to live righteous lives that are devoted to good works. Paul says we are to be zealous for good works. We are to be devoted to good works. We find this in chapter 2, verses 2 through 9. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and verses 8 and 14. We just saw this in verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. As I shared with you, If you are truly born again, if you are truly regenerated, your life will result in good works. We are not. We are not saved by good works. But when we are truly saved, the result will be good works. And if you're not doing good works, you have no desire for good works, then you're probably not saved. Remember, he instructed us, Paul did, through Titus. Instructions to older men, older women, younger men, younger women. We are to be the best citizens in our country. We are to be the best, most hardworking, honest employees at our workplace. We are to be people known for our kindness and our gentleness 
and our goodness. We are to go about doing any and every good work that we possibly can. That's important in this book. Devote yourselves to good works. Be zealous for good works. Number four, the book of Titus, and I would put this at the top. The book of Titus has two of the most important passages in the New Testament about our great and glorious salvation. Amazing. In three chapters, we have two of the most important statements in the New Testament about our salvation. The first one is Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, which we are seeking to memorize this summer. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When you think of the book of Titus, I want you to think of Titus 2, 11 through 14, and Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Great statements in helping you and helping me understand our salvation in Christ. And that's where I want to wrap up this entire book. This, this entire series. I want us to remember always, as Christians, everything we are and everything we do begins and ends with our salvation in Christ. Everything I am, everything you are, everything I do, everything you do begins and ends with our salvation in Christ. Think about it. We have no righteousness apart from Christ. We have no goodness apart from Christ. The prophet Isaiah said, our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's a pretty graphic description. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We think of the prophet Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The human heart is deceitful above all things. Jim quoted That in his prayer, desperately wicked, who can know it? 
The only reason we are righteous is because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ that was bestowed upon us at the time of our salvation. And now we stand clean and pure, as pure as the driven snow before a holy God, not because of us, but because of Christ. We have no righteousness apart from our salvation. We have no peace, no strength, no hope apart from our salvation. We have two kinds of peace as Christians. We have positional peace, peace with God. We were once enemies with God, but through Christ, we are at peace with him. And we have experiential peace. So we have positional peace and experiential peace. We have literal tranquility and peacefulness within. We have a peace that passes all understanding. We have strength in Christ. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God is our strength. He is an ever-present help in our time of need. We have no hope beyond the grave apart from our salvation. But in Christ, we have great hope. Hope that all of our sins are forgiven. The great hope that one day we will leave this earth and walk into the very presence of our Savior. That through Christ... Through Christ, we have conquered sin and death. Oh, we have great hope in him. And even as I alluded to earlier, we cannot do any good works apart from our salvation in Christ. Our ability to do good works is found in Christ and in Christ alone. The reason you can go about doing good is because the resurrected and living Christ, by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit, lives in you. He is your enablement, your power, your strength to do good works. Last summer, last summer, we were encouraged to memorize John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. The vine and the branches. The only way the branch can do anything good is by abiding in the vine. And we think of that great verse, John 15, 5, apart from Christ, we can do what? Nothing. And nothing means nothing. You see, our God is on a mission. He is on a mission to save people, to bring people to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is mighty to save those, mighty to save anyone who will come to him by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And that's why I've shared with you a number of times in this series, nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than your salvation. To know for sure in your heart that there has been a time when you were genuinely converted, when you repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The most important thing in any of our lives to know for sure that we have come to know Christ as our Savior. This morning is not the end of the book of Titus. I'm hoping it is the beginning. I'm hoping throughout your Christian walk, 
that you will come back again and again to this New Testament book. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that the book of Titus is part of your inspired and inerrant word. Thank you for its life-changing truths. We praise you for the free gift of salvation that is available to anyone, anyone who will receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Oh, Father, help us. Help us to be faithful to share with others your good news. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.